0: Good morning well last week we saw you know Christ's prayer for us, and Christ's prayer for us his amazing desire that we would uh, join in with him and with his father and abide in the love they have for each other and the love that we would have for one another and in abiding in that love that we would be perfected uh, in that communion with both the Father and the Son. But whenever we use the word love, it is really one of the most confusing words in the English language. Uh, we can mean almost the opposite uh, by the word love when we use it. And so obviously we, we want to today really start out by looking at what exactly do we mean when we use the word love. For example, you know, uh, you've heard people say and you've probably said yourself to somebody, uh, you know, the two of you aren't, aren't good together. You're really not good for each other, haven't you? Has anyone ever told you that or have you ever told anyone that? To which the person that you're talking to responds, but we love each other. Now, how is it possible to uh, not have a good influence or impact on each other and love each other? What a confusing idea that is that a person could be in love with another person and not have a beneficial effect or impact on that person. I think the confusion as to what love is comes from incompatible definitions of what we mean by the word love. The false idea of love is captured in the statement, if you love me, you would do for me what I want. And in that idea of love, we have the concept that uh, I love somebody if they are providing for me what I desire from them. Uh, that is a very common notion of love, that I place my affections on somebody who is serving me in the way I would like them to serve me. Um, I, I love a person because I'm uh, getting out of them what I want. Now, God doesn't love us in that manner, and God's love for us isn't a matter of His giving us what we want. Uh God's love is a matter of giving people what they actually need. If I say, I love you, am I saying uh, one of these two things? Which one of these two things am I saying if I I say, I love you? Am I saying, I want to be a benefit to you, and I want to have a good impact on your life? Am I saying that when I use the words, I love you? Or am I meaning by the words, I love you, I want to get from you the benefit I want from you. Um, Which of those two things am I saying when I am saying I love you? When we hear the words, I don't love you anymore, uh, what does that mean? What sense does that make uh, if we're talking about a true biblical love? It means I am not getting out of you what I used to get out of you, or what I want to get out of you anymore. That's what that phrase, I don't love you anymore, means. And it's not compatible with the biblical definition of love. If our definition of love is, I want to be of a benefit to you. I want my life to improve your life. I want my influence to have a result in your life that you're better off for me having uh, been in proximity to you, then how could you ever say, I don't love you anymore without saying, I want to stop uh, having a good effect on you? Uh, if um, the idea here is that uh, a person, uh, there's two really ideas here. One is that love means, or and which I think true love and God's love is, is that a person uh, who loves somebody else wants to be a benefit to that which is the object of his love. And the other idea of love, the incompatible idea with that idea, is that love means that I love uh, a person because I I hope to exploit from them what I want to get out of them. If the latter option fits a person's definition of love, uh, then we would be unable to understand the nature of God's love for us much less participate in God's love for us. Today, as we continue in our series entitled, I Want to Be Where You Are, a series designed for us to look at increasing our love and devotion for Jesus, we're going to be looking at the nature of God's love for us and the nature of the love that God would inspire in us to have for each other. Last week, as I mentioned, we looked at Christ's prayer for us. We looked at his high priestly prayer for us. And in that prayer, we see the central theme of what he wants for us. He wants for us to be reconciled to him and to his father in this holy divine communion of of sharing with us and having the same love in us that each of them have for one another. And in that communion of love, he sees how we are made complete, how we are perfected in that uh, community of love with both he and his Father. And, uh, you know, in Jesus' prayer, uh, we see for us the opportunity for us to not only be made perfect in his love, but to be made like God in his love, that we would be made complete and be perfected in his love. And this week, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, And we're going to be taking a closer look at what kind of love it is that he's talking about when he's invited us into the communion of the love that he has for the Father, that the Father has for him, and that they have for us. What is the nature of God's love towards us? And what is the nature of the love that God wants us to have towards each other? When we use the word love, are we clear on what we mean by it? Or do we have a distorted view of love? How do we know that God loves us? And how do we know that we love God? How do we know that God's love for us is real? And how do we know that our love for God is real? How do we know that? Well, today we're going to be looking at those questions as we look at 1 John chapter 4 Verses 7 through 21. And today's message is entitled, In This Is Love. In this this In This Is Love. And we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray this morning that as we look at your word, that it would be powerful to us, that it would be insightful, that it would make a difference in our lives, that we would see clearly what biblical love is and be able to distinguish uh, between what we call love and what truly love is. Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you have shown us what love is, and we pray that we would see it clearly this day, and that not only would we experience it from you, but other people would experience it from us. We pray and we pray that you'd bless this uh, reading this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. As he is, so also we. So all also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has been perfect. Whoever, uh, whoever, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, "I love God," and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love does not love his brother, whom he has, uh, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what is love? Uh, to see love in its truest form, in its purest form, pure love in its ultimate expression, we have to look at God's love for us and understand that from that what love actually is. God's love is most clearly seen in Jesus. Verse 9 says this, In this, underlining this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest. So in what? In this, the love of God was made manifest that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Uh, So God's love was made manifest. It was on display. It was made visible. It was openly declared, and it was able, we were able to deserve, observe it and understand it, and it was in His having sent His Son into the world that we might live through Him, that we can see the love of God. Jesus came to give His life for us uh, as a sacrificial offering so that we might live through Him, and it's in this that we see God's love for us, His sacrificing of His Son on our behalf that we might possibly benefit by that. Being made alive in Him, being revived from our spiritual death into eternal life in Him. Verse 10 says this, In this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of for our sins. In this, in what? In God having sent His Son, the mission of His Son was to become a propitiation for our sins. Now, I I suspect that a lot of people don't know that word, propitiation. I have to look it up every time I read it. Uh, I remember what it says, but it's, it's a word that we don't often use but it means what it means is he sent his son to take us from a state of disfavor and bring us into a state of favor through the cancellation of the cause of us being in a state of disfavor, our debts against God. So let me try to illustrate it to you this way. Supposing, for example, you got caught. You were stealing electricity from medicine. You, you had some jumper cables going up to the, uh, to, to the service main and you ran them past the meter and into your box there. And you would do that for a couple weeks every month uh, to bypass your meter. And you did that year after year after year. And finally you got caught. And they calculated your back expense and, and your back uh, uh, cost from all the electricity you stole. They put some penalties on that. And it was way too expensive for you to be able to pay. So they shut off your electricity and you are left in cut off in the cold and in the dark because your debt to repay was too great. And so a rich relative of yours comes along and he reconciles with the electric company the full debt that you've paid and all of the back fees and taxes and fines and everything together. And he brings you back into good standing with the electric company to where they are willing to reconnect your service again and uh, your lights come back on again. Now, that person who would have brought you back into favor with the electric company would be called your propitiator. And he would have performed what is called propitiation on your behalf. And this is what Christ is. He's our propitiator. He's taken the insurmountable debt that our crimes have accrued to us against God, and he's paid for those crimes, and then some, and brought us back into uh, God's favor from a state of disfavor as a result of our sins. Our sins are a rejection of God's will. Our sin at heart is saying we are smarter than you, God. We know what we're doing. We're going to do it our way. And uh And we cut ourselves off from him and from his truth and from his wisdom. And we end up in a state of, you know, indebtedness and disfavor. And in our state of indebtedness and and, uh, disfavor, we lack any love for God and we are separated from him. And as we find ourselves in this disconnected state, we also realize that we're, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, the penalty is too great for us to pay. We are in the cold and we are in the dark and we're separate from the favor of the Creator who is the source of all that is good and, and right. And uh, we, we live in a spiritually dead condition. Nevertheless, even in this spiritually dead condition, He loves us because His love for us isn't a matter of whether He's getting out of us what He wants from us. His love is a godly love. His love is a desire to benefit us, a benefit us even when we're estranged from Him because that's the nature of God. And He shows that love to us by sending His beloved Son to be our propitiator. He desires to benefit us even in our state of fallenness and disfavor to Him. His love for us is not dependent upon us being in a right relationship or a right condition on him, uh, with Him. His love for us is dependent upon His nature and what He's like. Uh, the theme this morning is this, that God first loved us. Verse 10, God first loved us. God's love for us was initiated when we were not in a good relationship with Him. He loved us before we responded well to Him. Um, verse 10 says this, in This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love for us was initiated not by us and not by our responsiveness to Him. It was initiated out of His own independent nature. We, as the objects of His love, by His own desire, He wanted us to benefit from Him. And that's what love is. Love is when you want somebody to... to, when you want your life to have a beneficial impact on them, regardless of how they are affecting you. And that's the way God is. He, He wants to benefit us even if we are displeasing to Him. Because true love isn't based on what the lover gets out of the object of his love, but true love is based on the lover's desire to benefit the object of his love. God's ultimately, God's unilateral love for us um, is determined by his nature and his desire to meet uh, us and give us what we need well before we have a favorable disposition towards him. When Jesus commands us to love our enemies, it seems like a very difficult command. If I were to say to you this morning, you know, what Jesus what, what Jesus wants for you today is to love your enemies, you cannot do that if you have a worldly notion of love. It would get very confusing for you to think about, Loving your enemies, if you're thinking love is trying to get a person to provide for you what you want from them. If love is based on, on the other hand, your desire to be an object, a benefit, or blessing to whoever you're coming into contact with, universally, like God's love is, He, he desires to be a, a blessing and a benefit to whoever His Spirit touches, then it would have an impact even on your enemies, if we love like God's love loves, then we have a desire to better whoever we're influencing, even our enemies. True love is based on the desire to be beneficial, and in that, if we're truly, in, you know, inspired by the love of Christ for us, it is possible for us to want to be beneficial to those who are even our enemies. In fact, the love God showed towards us is exactly that, that God loved and acted in a beneficial way towards us even while we were at enmity with Him. He did love His enemies. And it's harsh to say, but we were in that state of disfavor when He loved us. He's not asking of us of anything that He hasn't done for us ourselves. Uh, love acts as a desire to benefit another. Um, He acted in that way. He gave what we most needed, not what we most wanted. We can't exploit God and tell God, uh, if you love me, you'll give me what I want. But we can expect out of God, because he loves us, to give us what we need. And He gave us what we needed. We needed His favor. We needed a Savior. We needed a debt payer. We needed a heart changer. We needed a life giver. We needed a propitiator. We needed somebody who would propitiate our, for our sins. And that's exactly what God's love provided. If God's love is true love, true love is based on the good that um, He hopes to affect us with. Think about this for a second. Think about the words, I don't love you anymore. What if God were to ever utter those words? I don't love you anymore. From God's point of view, what would that mean if God said, I don't love you anymore? That would mean from God's definition of love, he would be saying, I stopped wanting to be a benefit to other people. I stopped wanting to have a good effect on other people. God could never say that because it's in opposition to His nature. It's His very nature to want to be beneficial to whatever He touches, to whatever He comes into proximity to. And when He wants, first of all, for us to be reconciled to Him so that we can be made like Him, so that we too can be uh, those who would love in the same manner, where we wouldn't be asking the question, does this person deserve uh, my, uh, my blessings? That's not what love asks. Love says, I want to be a blessing. I want the people that I am around to be better off for my proximity, uh, regardless of what I'm getting out of them. That's the way God is, and that's the way he wants us to be. Um, God could never use the words, uh, I don't love you anymore, because he would be denying his very nature. Um, his very nature is caught in this theme here that God first loved us. He loved us because he is love. It is his nature to want to be a benefit. Point number one is, we love because he first loved us. What enables us to love one another is that God, we enter into the love that God had for us prior to our even being reconciled to him. Verses 19 through 21 says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Um, When we are loved first by God, and when we enter into communion with that love of God, by putting our faith in Christ Jesus, the result is we start loving others like God loved us. We are infected by God's desire to be a blessing to us, uh, and in that being affected by that, we start wanting to be a blessing to other people. We have an independent desire to benefit other people when we are abiding in God's love. And we know we're abiding in God's love when all of a sudden we start wanting, gee, I hope I, 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 hope I have a, a good effect on this person or I hope I have a good effect on that person uh, that, that kind of love is authored by the love that God has for us. Um, so you know, as we function together as a church, and as we come together as a body of Christ, and as we have joined ourselves to the love of God, uh, we start asking ourselves, born out of God's love, how can I use the gifts that God has given me to benefit those that I'm in fellowship with? My hope as your pastor is that I will benefit you by the gifts that God has given me and that you will want to benefit me and the rest of the body with the gifts that God has given you to share. Together, we can ourselves be a manifestation of love as Christ was a manifestation of God's love by His serving Himself for the benefit of the body we too uh, can be a manifestation of God's love by each one asking the question, What has God given to me to share with others? What do I have that benefits other people? And how can I use what God has given me to bless uh, those around me? You know, I fear, however, that over the past 40 or 50 years, the church has lost its way. In terms of the vision of what it means to love. And I think in part this is attributable to the seeker-sensitive movement, which asked the wrong question uh, years ago, and much of the church has followed uh, this line of thinking. The question that the seeker-sensitive movement asked to attract people into the church was the question of what are people's felt needs, and how can we meet those needs that people feel that they have. The right question to ask is, what are people's essential needs, and how can we meet what they really need? Now imagine for a second if the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, he were to ask the seeker-sensitive questions. If Christ would have started his ministry asking the question, what do people feel they need, and how can I meet their felt needs? What if Jesus would have gone out and taken a survey on the streets and asked people, what do you want out of a Savior? And how can I provide what you want for me as your Savior? How many people on the streets, uh, 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 given a survey, would have said, Lord, what I really need is a propitiator. (laughs) I need somebody who would take me from a state of disfavor from God Almighty into a state of favor. You know, I don't think there would have been a single person in the first century that said, what I need out of my my Messiah is uh, somebody who would die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for my sins so that my debt could be completely paid. I don't think anyone would have said that. But that was, from Christ's perspective, our greatest need. He didn't ask the question, what do you feel you need? People would have said, I need more money, I need more food, I need another beer, I need something. But they wouldn't have said, I need a propitiator. But Jesus knew that that's what they needed, and that, out of his love, is what he provided. Uh, he, he became my propitiator is because I needed that more than I needed any of my felt needs. He died in my place as a, a payment for the, my crimes against God. God's love is not giving people what they want. God's love is giving people what would bring them the greatest benefit. Once we enter into that love, we are perfected by it. And we are driven in the same way, with the same motives, you know, to ask the question: how can we give to others what they truly need? Not what they are demanding, not what they are uh asking for, but what they really need. Um, how can we be a benefit to them? Again, this morning, the theme is God's, God first loved us. And point number one is we love because he first loved us. And point number two is perfect love casts out fear. Um Let's take a look at verses 18, 17 and 18. Perfect love casts out fear. By this is love perfected with us. That's what we looked at last week, how we are made complete, telestai, made whole, made full, made complete in the love of God. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. What gives us confidence in the day of judgment? Because as He is, also are we in this world. The more we become like Christ, the more confident that we are in the day of judgment. The more we desire to be a benefit to those around us, the more confident we are as we face uh, our day of accountability. Uh, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, by this divine communion that Christ has invited us into, that communion that we studied last week, results in our completion, our having been perfected in love. And in that state of perfected love... Uh, If we were to reach that state of perfected love, there would be absolutely no room for fear because fear has to do with some possibility of harm. In this case, some possibility of judgment going astray. And when we are perfected in Christ's love, we know so thoroughly how His atoning sacrifice has paid the penalty for our sins that we, in His love and recognize what He has bestowed upon us, we have no fear of punishment punishment is a is an issue that's been dealt with now um, how do we understand this passage in light of the Bible's emphasis in passage after passage to uh, to fear God? Th- this seems to be in opposition with the idea of fearing God. We know from Proverbs, for example, that it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the prerequisite to becoming wise. So how, how do we come to reconcile this idea of being called to fear God with this, with this total absence of fear of God? How, how do we come to understand that? And um, the way I understand it is this, that the fear of the Lord is the tutor that brings us into a place where we don't have to fear anymore. How does it work? The fear of the Lord leads us into a recognition for our real need, the need for a propitiator, the need for an atoning sacrifice. We, the fear of the Lord, the fear of facing Him and facing Him in light of the crimes that we have committed against Him, uh, bring us into a state where we realize we need a Savior, Without that fear of the Lord, we never are aware of our greatest need, and we all we think is we need another beer, or we need another this, or we need another that. We we are without the fear of the Lord, we're unaware uh, of uh, the greatest danger that we face. So the fear of the, uh, the Lord brings us to our uh, an awareness of our need for salvation, and as we discover uh, our need for salvation, Christ presents us for us to us. With, presents us with a solution that was born out of God's love for us. The love that God has for us has provided for us a Savior, a propitiator, that will overcome uh, our debt against God. We enter into that love, and that love changes us and so perfects us that we have no longer any near need for fear afterwards, leaving us uh, no reason to fear God's judgment. Let me try to make it simple here in this fear flow chart. Uh, We have a reason to be afraid. We stand in opposition to God, and we need that opposition overcome. And in that, we discover the solution, which is salvation through Christ. And once we've entered into salvation through Christ and become united in God's love, then it results in the absence of fear. So there's a progression from fear tutoring us into a place where we won't have to be afraid. Um, our fear becomes like an iceberg floating into warmer waters. Uh, as soon as it gets into that love, uh, as soon as our fear gets into that all-pervasive, perfecting love, uh, our fears melt away. As long as we're separate from it, uh, it stays. That iceberg like stays in cold water. It will stay frozen. But as the currents take it into the warmer water, it, it, it thaws out. And that's what happens to our fear. The more we're in the love of God, the more our our fear of God melts away. The fear is intended to bring us into our need for Christ, but as we come into our need for Christ, our fear melts. Um, So again this morning, um, God first loved us. Point number one is we love because He first loved us. And point number two is Perfect love casts out all fear. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Where God says, I saw everything, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything that God makes, everything that he touches... Everything that he uh, is ever in proximity with is made good, very good, because it's in the nature of love to benefit that which it touches. And you ask the question, then where does evil come from, and why does God allow evil in the world? And I want to just tell you this, that evil isn't a created thing. Evil is a a reduction of of something that was made good by God. If I had, a, say, a paper cup in front of you, and it was in a good state to where it could hold water, uh, I wouldn't be creating anything if I ripped it in half and it no longer could function the way it was designed to function. Everything that God touches, everything that is good, everything that He's around is good and made good and is made in accordance to its purpose for its function. But when something gets uh, destroyed, nothing new is created. It's what What is good is taken from a better state to a lesser state. And God doesn't do that. It isn't God that tempts towards evil. It's our own free will that takes us away from His perfect will. And we are the ones who, who through our rejection of Him and rejection of His leadership and rejection of His wisdom, uh, cause the uh, de- diminution of our own character and our own development. And when we find ourselves in a diminished state, less than what God created us to be, uh, the solution isn't to reject God. It's to come back into proximity with God. And it is Christ that has made that way open to us through the cross. That whatever He touches is good, very good. And our object ought to be to get in To uh, and into his, into wherever he is, and to be touched by him, and reject anything that pulls us away from him. You know, there's there's a gal that we've been praying for for quite some time uh, that we would like to see in fellowship, and uh, last week she was actually heading to church. Uh, to come to fellowship with us. And um, she told my wife this week that on her way to church, she got pulled over by the police and had this idea that maybe I shouldn't be going to church. There is a contest for our soul. There has to be a determination in our hearts to win the battle of where we want to be, whether we want to be with Jesus, or we want to, or we allow ourselves to be pulled and dissuaded from His presence. In His presence, there is nothing but a good result. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything that God touches is very good, because God is love. Thank you, Father, that you uh, have loved us even while we were yet your enemies. And because you have first loved us, we yield ourselves to you and ask, God, for your love to be in us that we might love you and want to please you and that in wanting to please you, we would want to love each other, which pleases you. We would want to be a benefit to one another. Pray that each one of us here this day would uh, ask the question, what have you given me to give to others? What have you given me, Lord, that I can pass on in a way that would be a blessing to those who are in my proximity? May we each unilaterally not think about what we're getting out of the other person, but what we're giving to the other person. What a glorious world we'd live in if everyone was thinking that way. In Christ's name, we ask that we would think that way. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcomes Sermon Podcast. Ultimate Outcomes is a nonprofit organization founded on the biblical principle that knowing and applying God's truth makes a difference in the quality and destiny of our lives. It is our prayer that this podcast and its resources bless you and your churches as much as it has blessed all of us who have learned from the biblical teachings of Richard Elwell. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit www.ultimateoutcomes.org.